As you probably remember, uh, in the first week we learned a few fun facts about Genesis. Like the word Genesis is the Greek word for beginnings. And it was used during the translation of the Old Testament into um, Greek, which was called the Septuagint. And so they chose this word Genesis, which really means beginnings. And so, um, as some of you already know, especially when you start from the very first word of the book, you immediately get introduced to God. He's creator of heaven and earth. He's creator of mankind. So you get to um, be introduced in that way. And then you begin to learn um, more about how just God starts to fulfill some of the promises even during the time when uh, Adam and Eve fell from relationship with God. Um, and so one of the themes you see a lot of, and Todd kind of brought this forward for us, was this big theme of faith. And we see a lot of that in Hebrews, where Hebrews reflects back into Genesis and says, hey, check these guys out. Abraham, Isaac, Moses, you know, these guys demonstrated a lot of faith. And so another keyword, or a keyword that's also in Genesis is this keyword called account. And the phrase is account of. So you see the book being segmented a lot, like the account of the beginning of heaven and earth, the account of Adam and Eve, the account of... You know, Noah, Abraham, and so forth. And, it, and it's right where we land on Joseph, which is the account of Jacob. We begin to, we began our series. And so if you remember from the very first week that Joseph was counted, or excuse me, was uh, trusted by God with a vision. You guys remember that? When, God, when Todd preached on how Joseph was trusted with the vision, and we saw that in Genesis 37. And Todd really used this um, occasion where Joseph had a couple dreams, and they were somewhat strange. But um, Joseph was very faithful in reporting the truth that he had about the, the dreams that he had experienced. And if you can remember, the brothers got really upset. They're like, what are you trying to say? That we're going to somehow bow down to you? I mean, he was like the second of the youngest. The youngest brother was Benjamin. Okay, So even, uh, even though he wasn't well received, he was still uh, reporting the truth. Um, and we got to see that in Genesis 37. But, you know, the dreams really didn't tell much about Joseph. It was just telling more about God's vision and how He's going to use Joseph. And so, um, what we got to see was how um, God gave him those visions and it really was exposing this plan that God had to providentially save His people. And so Todd correlated that with us by saying, you know, we have a vision. We have something that we received by God in a message. And we get that from the first, uh, excuse me, from the New Testament where God says, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he tells us, love the Lord thy God, you know, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we also have you know, a mission, a plan that we're being a part of. And so Todd really used that occasion um, to teach us that God's visionary character needs to affect our sensitivity. You know, our ability to hear God and be able to report that. Our activity, how we respond to it, because Joseph, Joseph responded to the visions that he had. He didn't dismiss it. And also, it should affect our longevity. I knew I was going to mess this up. Longevity. <laughs> That's a hard word. Longevity. Basically, our ability not to quit. Okay? Just to stick with the plan. And, and it was on this last point on longe- longevity that we springboard into the third week. And it was in the third week that we studied 
that Joseph was trusted with the household. And during this time where he was trusted with the household, he came under a lot of tests, if you remember. Um, in Genesis 37, um, Jacob really trusted Joseph. It, we got introduced um, to Joseph, how he had this long robe and was really well ornamented, which made him really distinct from his brothers, which caused a lot of hostility among them. And so then uh, we see in, um, in Genesis 37 just how Jacob says, Hey, you know, your brothers are out with the sheep, you know, they're shepherding them. Why don't you go out and see how they're doing and bring, you know, report back to me. So we get the glimpse of how Jacob was kind of grooming Joseph to sort of be the next manager, if you will, of the family. You know, and unfortunately for Joseph, he came up to his brothers um, out in Shechem in the fields when they were shepherding and they were just really hostile. They like, saw him, they're like, here comes that dreamer, you know, let's go ahead and kill him. You guys remember that? And so they apprehended him and threw him into the, the cistern and then two of the brothers were like objecting to the plan. They said like, you know, let's not kill him, let's just sell him into slavery. Here comes these Ishmaelites, let's just sell him. And so they did. And then he created this story of how um, Joseph was killed because they killed the goat and put the blood all over the robe and presented it to Jacob. So he made his journey all the way to Egypt. Now I want you to imagine, if you will, you pull into like a quick trip, getting some gas, you know, you get yourself a, you know, um, a 32 ounce, just basically like three liters of soda or something, and then you come out and you get in your car and you get hijacked. Some, you know, several people get in and they're just like, we're taking control, you're moving on the passenger side. And they just blindfold you and they haul you all the way to Mexico. And then they unwrap your blindfold and, como estas? <laughs> you know, they're speaking to you in Spanish. And you're just like, whoa. And then all of a sudden you are now a part of this team of people serving some kind of, you know, rich person in Mexico. And you can't even speak the language. You know, talk about trials. That was Joseph. I mean, he went from speaking Hebrew and now he's like in this culture... I think they speak Aramaic and he just can't, he can't communicate. But yet he still tries to like engage that circumstance because we, we begin to see how God uses Joseph to um, demonstrate that the Lord was with him. Remember that? Uh, we, he got sold to Potiphar's house. And so then Potiphar recognized everything he did was successful. You know, he, and he entrusted everything to his care. And so in week four, we see how Joseph was framed by Miss Potiphar. If you guys remember, actually, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to page, uh, not page, turn to Genesis 39. I want to highlight something that just really impresses me about Joseph. Um, Genesis 39, verse 6. Genesis 39, verse 6, where is verse 6? There Okay, so he left in Joseph's care everything he had. So this is Potiphar now, okay. He left everything to Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he had not concerned himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused, saying, With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. And this is my favorite part right here. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin? Not Potiphar, but sin against God. 
You see that? He was faceless with temptation of Mrs. Potiphar wanting to, you know, go into the bedroom with him and, and he just kept saying, how can I do this to God, you know? I mean, I've been blessed with all this stuff and the thought of this just, it doesn't compute, you know? That was his reaction. And if you continue on, he says, and although, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And that's the second point we see. Because not only does Joseph look at the situation from God's perspective, he also reorders his whole life so he can avoid the temptations. You know, he, he changes his, um, his list of duties, if you will, so that he can make sure, okay, Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar is going to be in the kitchen. I'm just going to make sure not to be in the kitchen at 9 o'clock. You know, he just totally changes the situation. And so what Todd used from this occasion was to teach us that when you get tempted, just keep in mind God's perspective in this temptation. And also, when you engage in it, you refuse, try to change your habits so that you're not hit with it again. Does that make sense? Todd really brought that out really well, and I'm not going to reiterate a lot of those points, but... Week 5, we saw how God used a bad situation from Joseph's eyes to bring about his plan of saving the lives of his people. You know, we would all love to be about God's plan in saving his people, but what we learned in this particular week was that sometimes God will use tragedies and hardships you know, to get you close to people so that you can um, share the gospel and be a part of God's saving plan of redeeming his people. So in Genesis 40, go ahead and flip over there. Um, let's see, verse 6. We see now that after the occasion of Mrs. Potiphar, um, she framed Joseph. You guys remember that. And Mr. Potiphar came home and she had evidence. Yeah, I have his cloak, you know, but in actuality he ran from Miss Potiphar. And so anyway, he was thrown into jail. And you just think, man, he was doing so well, right? In Mr. Potiphar's house, it seems like he was in charge of everybody. Mr. Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food. And then all of a sudden, he's in prison. But even though from our eyes, it looks like it's a bad situation, in God's it was perfect. Because he was able to sort of breach the, um, the Pharaoh's inner circle of people, if you will. You know, we have the cupbearer and the baker. So in, in chapter 40, verse 6 and 8, we see... The verse is here. When Joseph came to them, the next morning he saw that they were dejected. Okay, and we're talking about the cupbearer and the baker. Um, I lost my place. Okay, so he asked Pharaoh's officials where were, who were in custody with him in his master's house. Why are your faces so sad today? Which is interesting insight. You know, you're in prison. Should you really care about anybody else? You know? But for Joseph, he actually cared. He actually walked around and was like, Hey, you seem to have, have a sad face. Why? You know? And then continue on there. Verse 8. We both had dreams. They answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. You know, what's interesting here, we don't see Joseph really saying, Hey, you know, I've had dreams in the past. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, she's around down to me. You know, my brother, you know, family. He doesn't say anything. I had this gift, if you will, of interpreting dreams. So why don't you go ahead and tell me? He gives God the credit immediately, right? You see him saying, hey, interpretations are from God. 
why don't you just tell me your dream? Which is fantastic because he even recognizes, I think God is going to use me to help you interpret your dream. You know, so he trusts the Lord in this and the, and the Lord trusts him because he actually does interpret it. You guys remember the cupbearer was favorable. He returned to his position, but the baker kind of, I don't know how to say it, it was his demise, I suppose. <laughs> he got hung. And so, um, so what we learn from Todd's message here is God has gifted us with some gifts and talents. And he really pointed us and saying, are you being faithful? Just like Joseph was faithful. I mean, he was in a hard situation. He was in prison. And so, even though he was in prison, he still reached out to people. You know, So are you faithful with your gifts in an uncomfortable situation? Or how about in an unpopular situation? That was something that Todd taught us. Like when you have to give bad news to somebody. You know, in the case of the baker, he had to tell him, Sorry buddy, but your life is ending. You know? So are you faithful with your gifts? Even when it's not popular. And the last point that Todd taught us... Um, let's see, I'm trying to remember... Oh, right. He was unselfish. That's right. Sorry about that. He was unselfish with his gifts because Joseph didn't plead his innocence with the Pharaoh at all. Um, Because what we see from there, when when finally um, he gave the interpretations, you know, they came true. Pharaoh had his dream. And so then the cupbearer remembered, oh, there's this Hebrew in prison. Um, he interpreted the baker's and I's dream and it came about. Why don't you talk to him? So they brought him up front and, and then the Pharaoh asked him the question and you know, he didn't plead his case at all. Joseph didn't say, you know what, I'll interpret your dream if you get me out of prison. He didn't say anything like that. Um, he doesn't negotiate with him. He just accepts the circumstance he's in. Almost as if he was like saying, just you know, tell me your dream. And, um, and once I'm done, I'll just you know head back to prison. You know, he, he doesn't do anything about the unfair trial, I suppose, that he received that landed him in prison. I mean, here's Pharaoh, the person, the very person that could bring him out of prison, and yet he doesn't he doesn't you know argue his case, if you will. So in the sixth week, we learned that um, we looked at how Joseph ended up leaving a godly heritage. This was very much last week, so you probably remember a lot of that. How Joseph was trusted with the heritage. He remembered the target. Check out um, chapter 45, verses 4 and 8. I just want to highlight this real quick, and then I'll jump into what I want to contribute. Verses 4. Chapter 45, verse 4. Here we kind of see the, the verse where um, we get this... Um, slogan you're trusted with the heritage then Joseph said to his brothers come close to me and when they had done so he said I am your brother Joseph the one you sold into Egypt and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you you see that he still maintained his godly perspective you know it's not about you guys it's not about me trying to get back at you it's about God saving us because Pharaoh's dream, it predicted seven years of surplus and seven years of famine. You know, and this was, it, even though I didn't understand what God was doing, now it comes perfectly clear. You guys are saved. Therefore, because if they're, they're saved through the famine, God can continue his redeeming plan through the lineage of Judah that would eventually arrive to Jesus Christ. You know? So that's what Todd really brought out there was that Joseph kept people in mind. And he remembered that, that even God did the very same thing. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, remember when he was like pronouncing the judgment on the serpent? 
and he said, you know, um, there's going to be a seed between, you know, there's going to be enmity between the woman and, and you, and she's going to have a seed that's going to, you know, crush your head. And so even there in the very midst of being, the Adam and Eve being judged by God in their sins, he, promise, he promises redemption. You see that? And so he, he uses trustworthy people like Joseph to bring about this plan. So, um, you, so you see, people really matter to God. So much so that he's just willing to find trustworthy people to be a part of that plan. So Todd captured all these principles in a really nice chart. And I want you to see this chart. As you can see, there's vision, household, prison, country, and heritage. And he reported the truth. He remained under test. He resisted temptation. He was reliable with his talents. And he remembered the target. So this was what was presented to us. You guys received the printout. And we got to see the whole series. You know, and so then, when I talked with Todd, I said, Todd, I don't know how to add on to this thing. I mean, you want me to conclude the series? And I don't know. And so then I was going back, just kind of rereading it all. And I just read from 37 to 50. And, um, and everything that I was sort of observing about Joseph, how he just went through one, it seemed like one tragedy to the next. There was this question that just kind of jumped in my mind. I'm like, what kept him so close to God? You know, you think about it, there was no Torah, if you will. There was no Old Testament for him to, you know, read and say, okay, God wants that, you know. He had this relationship that was passed down to him through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they, they got to tell of the stories of the things that God did. Even through Noah, you know, the flood. I mean, it was an oral tradition at that time. And so, um, Joseph just really had this character quality that if it had not been there... There is no way God could use him at all. And it was this quality. Joseph feared God. As if I need to read, it, read that to you, you know. Joseph feared God. That's right. He feared God. And you're probably thinking, where do we get that? Well, I want you to go ahead and turn to uh, Genesis 42. And as you do that, I want you to see this next chart of basically of how I'm trying to add some some um, basically contribute to this chart of Joseph's trek to a trusted life. And essentially what I'm trying to say is because Joseph was so fearful of God, it really was the bedrock by which he was able to sort of pass through all these trials, go through this journey which was hard but yet used by God in order to bring about a plan to save the people of Israel which ended up him being just the most trustworthy character we could you know, observe from um, the Old Testament among others but and for our series we really focused on him so fearful is what I want to contribute here so I want you to go ahead and look at Genesis 42 let's see Verse 1, let's see, verse 1 through 5. This is kind of a funny occasion. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? I just think that's so funny because I can just see the brothers going, So what do you do today? You know, but I don't know, what are you going to do today? You know, it's just like, they're just hopeless. But Jacob says, You know, why do you keep looking at each other? I heard there's grain in Egypt. Because you can see, go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. And the ten, and then the ten, then ten of Joseph's brothers, I can't read, sorry, went down to buy some grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, 
um, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So now we have a new favorite. Okay? But yet we don't really see much about how the brothers sort of respond to Benjamin now being the, the new favorite, if you will. So anyway, just to continue the story down further, um, let's see. They eventually make their way to, to Egypt and they encounter Joseph. Now Joseph at this point is older. Okay? But he recognizes the brothers. The brothers don't recognize him. So immediately when he recognizes him, he's like, what are you guys doing here? And he says, oh, we come from the land of Canaan. You know, the famine has reached there. We're here to buy some grain. He goes, no, you're not. You guys are here as spies. You want to spy on our land. And the, and the brothers, you can read a little bit there. The brothers were like, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, you know, our father's back in Canaan. Our youngest brother is there. We used to be 12. You know, one is no more. No, seriously, we're just, you know, they just started being really transparent, okay, about what the occasion was about and trying to convince Joseph, whom they didn't know it was Joseph, about the reality of the situation. And they went back and forth on this three times. And so finally Joseph threw them in jail. Okay? And it's on verse 18 that I want to jump in and elaborate a little bit more there where he says... <clears throat> on the third day, so they're in prison for three days, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live. For I fear God. You see that? There's the fear that we see from Joseph and that's kind of where I want to expand on some of this I fear God if you are honest men he continues let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households but you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die this they proceeded to do okay so during this time when he met them He's somewhat in conflict with them. He's like, you guys are here. I'm just going to throw you in prison, you know. And so he does. And then he comes down. He's like, okay, do this because I fear God. You know, there's that godly perspective coming out again. I want you to do this. And so the brothers end up doing it. But check out their reaction in verse 21. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Very frightful response. And, and just to continue, verse 22, Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. See, what he was trying to do was he used uh, an interpreter to translate Egyptian or Aramaic um, to Hebrew in order to continue the disguise that he had going. So anyway, here they are talking in, in, in Hebrew and Joseph was able to hear all of that. But can you catch the fright that was in them? Did you see the brothers were like, oh man, our sins are catching up to us. Man, you know, it's like, now we got to come for his blood. You know, it's all your fault. You know, and it's just like breaking down. What we have here is really a serious case, case of fear versus fright. Okay, and this is where I kind of want to paint a picture. What does it mean to fear God? And what does it mean to be frightful? You know? And just create a little distinction for you and just prompt you also with the message I really want to give you. <clears throat> um, let's see. Now, they expressed that fear. They, they experienced more fear in verse 28 because Joseph finally filled their sacks and they went out so that way they can bring their younger brother back. And in verse 28... 
It says, My silver has been returned because they opened their sacks and they saw every of the money that they took to Egypt to pay for the for the um, the grain was put back into their sacks. And so here we get another snapshot of their fear. So he says, My silver has been returned, and he said to his brothers, Here it is in my sack. And their hearts sank. And they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? You know, so it's almost like they just were, oh, My money's here. Oh. You know, and it was just the hearts sank. Oh man. You know, they're all trembling like, God is really out to get us, you know. So there's another snapshot of what we see um, as fear versus fright. So what does the phrase, the fear of the Lord, mean? First, let's look at the usage of the word fear. In English, from Webster's Dictionary, fear is defined as a feeling of anxiety and agitation produced by the presence or nearness of danger, evil, pain, etc. So for many of us, that would be like you're walking along, you see some sna- a snake, and you're like, oh, there's a snake. You know, you look for the rattle, you're like, okay, okay, it's a kind of snake. And you pull back. You know, um, for some of us, it's going to the dentist. You're in the waiting room, and you just hear the drill. And you're just like, man, i got to go in there and do that too. I'm not feeling good right now, you know? Or I could just be fear of the unknown. Like when I went to college, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I was really afraid. But I tried to pretend I was cool and try to fit in. But, um... <laughs> Surely, but surely, though, this is not the sensation that we are to gather about Joseph fearing God. Okay? The Hebrew word for fear is yira. And one of its um, definitions, although it means fear, it also means an awesome, terrifying respect, reverence, piety for something. So that's the Hebrew word okay, that's used a lot in the Old Testament here. Now, in the Greek, the word is... Favos. And there's the Greek there too. And one of its translations is reverence for one's husband. And Favos, we kind of get our word phobia from. Okay? So that's the definition there of how the word's being used. But when it's used here in the context of God, um, I lost my notes. There we go. When it's used here in respect to God, their meanings really became, become different because when you put it in the context of God then you start to really introduce this awe it becomes synonymous with reverence awe, respect but with a great amount of emphasis and what God is saying in Genesis is that Joseph has this deep reverence and respect for the Lord literally what that means to us is that we are to be trembling tremendously awed and humbled by God's character So why is fear so important to God, you might be asking? Well, when we truly fear the Lord, we will recognize that He's the Creator, we are the creatures. He's the Master, we're His servants. Um, He's the Father, we are the children. And this attitude will manifest itself in our having this huge respect for God. His Word and everything He has to tell us in the Word. And we can relate this kind of fear to like a child and a parent. You know, some of you folks have children. You can imagine when the child disobeys, you know, you're trying to train them to understand what is right and what is wrong. And if the right kind of fear is in the child, the child would be like, you know, when I do this, which I just learned I shouldn't do, it really makes my parents upset and disappointed in me. Now, I really like my parents, and I, I don't want them to be disappointed in me, so I'm just going to 
obey and just not do what you know what my um, emotions are calling causing me to do you know that's the kind of fear we're talking about understanding what is right what is wrong and understanding you know we don't want to disappoint our parents we don't want to disappoint god because of who he is so to put it simply the fear of the lord will create this deep-seated reverence for god that causes people to want to please him at all costs so in joseph's case and in ours Living a trustworthy life, and here's the point that I really want you to get, living a trustworthy life like Joseph, it's right there, must begin with a healthy fear of the Lord. Can you just say that with me? Living a trustworthy life must begin with a healthy fear of the Lord. Okay? So this all sounds a little bit abstract. I'm sure it does for you. And you're thinking, fear of the Lord, okay, you defined it. Okay, what does this look like? Because for Potiphar, it was visible, wasn't it? Because when he saw Joseph, he's like, this guy, everything he does is successful. You know, I can tell that God is in him. He fears him. So I'm just going to put him in charge of everything. You know, so what does that look like? Well, um, I think in order to make it a bit clear, I really want to share a story about myself. Where I came face to face with God and really how this, how God sort of developed this healthy fear within me. A long time ago, Marcia and I, when um, we met at Iowa State, I really was an immature Christian. We got married. I was 19 for a month. So you can imagine, I was still a teenager when we got married. So I was immature. And I had some bad habits. Um, I was really walking the fence with God. I was um, almost in a fraternity, you know, try, trying to somehow get off of this um, journey or this path that I was setting before myself of getting into the partying side of college, you know. And so after rededicating myself and, you know, just saying, God, I'm really sorry I did all this, I wanted to, like, go back to following God. So I met Marsha. We had a great relationship. But I still had duplicity in my life where I was walking both sides of the fence. We got married and a lot of things that were hard for me to really kick became secret habits. And I, had, I hid them from Marsha. Um, and so when God eventually brought about a situation in which God sort of exposed all this secrecy to Marsha and Marsha just really was discovering this duplicity in my life she was just like who are you I mean I can't believe this is true in your life you know and so we really struggled through some of that and I went ahead and made promises and said I'm sorry I'll I'll get right so I got into like in men's groups trying to seek accountability there you know be around some Christian guys instead of you know secretly talking to other guys or whatever that weren't really believers in Christ and so then I even saw a Christian counselor for a while and as I was um, sort of changing my life trying to figure out how to rededicate my life back to God went to church on a particular Sunday and the senior pastor there took the time to ask the congregation how many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings this was the first one Okay, and I was just saying, yeah, I've seen it. It, was, it just came out like two weeks before. It. Yeah, I was so proud. I got to see it with Corbin. You know, and so then uh, he's like, go ahead and stand up. And the auditorium seats 550. I think there might have been 490. And two-thirds of the audience stood up, and mostly guys, right? Because guys really want to see that movie. And so we all stood up, and I just popped out of my chair. I was like, yeah, I saw that movie. Some folks were like, you know, whistling about the, you know, the grandness of this movie. And so then the, the pastor was like, okay, you can sit down. And then he's like, I have another question. And he looked at us and he's like, how many of you have read the Bible from cover to cover? Please stand. Three people stood up. 
And I just sank, just sunk in my chair going, oh man. Talk about being exposed to your lack of devotion to God, you know? Three people stood and I, I could not stand. It's like, I, I, I maybe read a letter, you know, in the New Testament, but I had definitely not read the book cover to cover. So the pastor, in, in a very kind way, but you know, also rebuking, he's just showing us how we tend to pour out our values into things like entertainment, you know. We go out of our way to set up schedule. Hey, Corbin, you want to go with me? Let's go to see the Lord of the Rings. But then the, the Lord, the God, who is impaled on a cross for my sins, is wanting me to sort of spend some time with Him. To talk to me, you know, in His Word. To pray to Him, you know what I mean? To free me of the sins that I was just struggling to shake off. You know? And so I start complaining. Yeah, I haven't found time to read the Word or pray. Can you pray for me on that? You know? It's just like, this is messed up. You know? But when he challenged me, I was like, he's right. My, my whole you know, uh, uh, devotion to the Lord is just way off. And so he's like, you know, back in the back, you will find some Bible reading plans uh, for a year. Go ahead and pick one up. He challenged the whole congregation. I'm like, I'm going to pick one up. So I went and picked one up. I started reading it. And I was in a men's group. And so I talked with one of my friends in my small group and I uh, asked him, Hey, Scott, can you hold me accountable to this? Because I look at this plan, I know I'm not going to make a year. You know, I just look at this, I'm like, you know, holidays are in there, Thanksgiving, I just know I'm not going to make it. You know, he's like, sure, we'll do it. <clears throat> so we held each other accountable and um, he would call me in the morning, six in the morning. And uh, <laughs> have you guys ever seen that Dunkin' Donuts commercial? Where the guy's like, time to make the donuts, you know? That's how I felt. Because there were some mornings I was, oh man, I shouldn't have been to bed at 11.30. Oh, Scott's calling me, so i got to get out of bed. So I went out of bed and I answered it. Hey, Scott, you doing? Yeah, I'm up, I'm up. Okay, okay, we'll see you. You know? And so then I would read. Okay, I'm just trying to wake up. And as I was starting to read through God's Word, I mean, this plan took me through the Old Testament, the New Testament, Psalms. You know, it was a little bit of everything. I just started was getting pounded by verses that God just convicted me of sin. You know, and that's where this fear of the Lord just started getting born within me, if you will. And so then, these verses were just beckoning me to change, but not in a, like, in a way that's like, you know, God loves you, please change. It was just like, if you do this, you know what I mean? You can think of the Old Testament. You can think of like, um, yeah, just how God dealt with the Israel in the Old Testament. I mean, it was just very harsh. It was just like, man... God is serious about sin. And so then I started reading some more. And so I want to expose some of these uh, scriptures to you. And there's going to be a ton of slides. But I don't want to apologize because I know, I mean, if we're a church of God, we should not be shrinking back from reading His Word, especially in slides. So there's going to be a ton. So I just want to um, warn you. Exodus 20. And this was the time when... Moses was um, asked by God to go up to the mountain. And so God descended onto the mountain. And it, uh, the clouds were like pitch black. There was thunder. And so the people were just like, whoa, there's God, you know. Well, it says here in Exodus 20, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the, mo- the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. And they stayed at a distance and said, Moses, why don't you just speak to us, your, you know, speak to us yourself and we will listen you know but do not have God speak to us or we will die Moses said to the people don't be afraid and here we see the two usages of the word fear the yura don't be fearful God has come to test you so that you would reverence him you know have the fear of God so that the fear of God will be with you 
to keep you from sinning. So we see this equation here. Like, you know, if you want to stop sinning, you got to fear the Lord. Next slide. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, so I'm sitting there in the mornings reading like, wow, that's a big call. Next slide. And here we get into the Psalms. I just love the Psalms. After reading the Bible through the year, I just was like, man, the Psalms. Talk about an ex- uh, a crying out to the Lord from the soul. You know, It's very poetic. Psalm 2.11 Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's kind of weird. Rejoice. You know, We were just up here worshiping the Lord. You guys were out there standing worshiping the Lord. And he's like, rejoice with trembling. I mean, is that a, a natural response that we have in God when we rejoice? Trembling? You know, I'm just like, what is that? You know? And so Psalm 25, 14, the Lord confines in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. Okay? So He's defining this relationship that you could have if you fear Him. I'll make my covenant known to you. I'll let you know what I'm up to. But Psalm 33, 18, but the eyes of the Lord are those who fear Him and those whose hope is in His unfailing love. Okay? So He's watchful of you. Psalm 64, 9. All mankind will fear and they will proclaim the works of the Lord and ponder what He has done. And don't we do that? I mean, we've been reading the Bible for the last 2,000 years and we're like, man, there's so many mysteries. You know? Especially if you try to study the end times. Talk about mystery. There's a lot of mystery there. Next slide. Psalm 86.11 Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. You know, if you don't fear God, you have a divided heart. I mean, you can almost work the equation backwards. If you have a lack of fear of the Lord or His name, you kind of have a divided heart. You're interested in like, well, you know, I, I revere you, you know, I, on Sundays, but, you know, when... But, you know, you just don't under, you know, you don't understand the hardships I face financially. You know, it's just hard for me to obey you, God, in this situation. My friends, you know, with their language, I'm having a hard time with that. I just want to fit in, you know. But guys are saying, no, you know, you, you get to hear more about what God really wants you to behave like, you know. And so the fear of the Lord gives you an undivided heart. Psalm 103.11 For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. For as high as the heavens above the earth, I mean, He'll just love you infinitely if you fear Him. Psalm 103.17 But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness with their children's children. Everlasting or everlasting. I mean, it's like, there's no end to what I could pour out to you. Just fear me. Next slide. The fear of the Lord, excuse me, Psalm 11:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. To Him belongs eternal praise. Psalm 115:13. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. Doesn't matter. Psalm 119, 120. My flesh, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws, which equates there the fear with awe. You know, He's making it synonymous. Next slide. Psalm 128.1 Blessed are those who fear the Lord who walk in His ways. Psalm 145.19 He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and saves them. You want to be heard by God? You got some stuff you've just been unloading? Maybe He's just saying, well, just fear me. If you just obey, excuse me, 
as we have been observing Joseph's life, I mean, we see this life of obedience that led up to all this trustworthiness. And God's just like saying, just walk that straight line, you know, and um, I'll hear you and I'll save you. Psalm 147.11, the Lord delights in those who fear Him, he put, who put their hope in His unfailing love. Next slide. Oh, if you think this is just the Old Testament, I mean, we see a lot of this in the New Testament. And just to let you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's like two, over 240 references of fear of the Lord. And I'm just like giving you a few. You know, but if you can imagine, as I've been reading, you know, it's just like, boom. Okay, fear the Lord. Okay. Fear the, you know, it's like, whew, every time I read in the morning, I was just walking away going, man, I am just having a hard time. I mean, God's, God's really calling me to obedience. And here I am just struggling being lukewarm, if you will, for, with God. And so I just kept being rebuked. In Luke 12, 5, this, these are the words of Jesus here. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear Him who, after killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. So we see a lot of this fear now being carried forward, even in Jesus' ministry. And in case you were wondering, okay, what about Acts, the early church? Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit it grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord and it was a part of their everyday life next slide 2 Corinthians 5 9-11 ok you guys still hanging in there with me I know that's a lot of verses you guys are probably like oh man so we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the bo- while in the body whether good or bad since then we know what it is to fear the Lord we try to persuade men isn't that amazing? He fears the Lord. You know, we know what it's like to fear the Lord. So we've got to go persuade some men. We've got to go save them. Because fear of the Lord is what? Having this knowledge that God has this plan of saving people. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. And this is the next verse, the very last verse. I really want you to pay attention to this because here's where we get a distinction of what it means to be fearful of God and what it means to not be fearful of God in a sense of we're afraid of Him. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see? We're not called as Christians to fear God because of punishment. Who took the punishment? Jesus. Jesus took the punishment. So our life should be characterized as one of not having fear, like Joseph. Joseph walked into every occasion, and you'll notice he never complained. You know, he maybe cried out when he was in the, in the pit, but he's like he just walked into these situations. He was faithful with his gifts. He was faithful with the vision. He was faithful, you know, in the prison. I mean, he's just like faithful, 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 faithful. In, in, in situations where he had all the reasons to say, I'm done with you, God. You know what I mean? <coughs> You know, you're, somehow you want to save people, but man, you're just like dragging me in the mud through this. He doesn't say anything like that at all. He just walks through each occasion. He's like, I'm just going to be trustworthy. I trust the Lord. And for years, I mean, can you imagine being in the situation he has been for like, I think it was over 20 years he was in all this, you know? And he was still faithful and trustworthy. Only until he saw his brothers that he realized, wow, God brought all this about to save Israel so that there would be a heritage to lead up to Jesus Christ. You know? So, 
There is the distinction of being frightful and fearing the Lord, having a reverence of Him. So let's see. So for me, you know, God was really helping me peel off my old nature, you know, and putting on the new one. That sounds a little abstract. I know you're just like, what are you talking about? But for me, what happened here was my habits started to change. For example, I stopped listening to heavy metal music. And I don't know if you know this, but in my car, the first six buttons memorize, you know, um, radio stations for you. So you can just hit a button and hear whatever you want to hear. Whatever you program into it. Well, in case you didn't know, in my vehicle, there's a back fix. You just have to hit it twice. And when you program it, you hit it twice. And I was like, oh. So now, and this is where the duplicity was coming out with when I was married with Marsha. I would listen to heavy metal music when I was on by myself in the van, whereas when Marsha was in the van, the first six were all Christian. You know? And I would, when I was, I was alone, I would listen to Cowman, Man Cow, whatever. I would listen to Hard Rock or and all these other stations, you know. But when I came home, I was someone else, you know. That started to change because, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you ever wake up with a song in your head? You're laying in the pillow and you're just like... And for me, it was like Nirvana was in my head. Take your time, hurry up. And then sometimes I would be in the shower and I would still have this song just coming into my head and it's like, man, Kurt Cobain is like one of the most depressing guys I've ever heard. You know, but his music is catchy. You know, and with the relationships I was having, you know, you just kind of find yourself in this culture with people around you that listen to certain things. You know, you don't want to be the oddball out, so you just listen, just like everybody else, you know. But for me, it was just like ingrained in my mind. I was waking up with these songs in my head and I'm just like, God... I, um, how am I going to get these songs out of my mind? I feel like I'm just programmed. And so then finally I just decided to confess to Marsha in some way I think we did in our small group to say, hey Marsha, I just want to let you know there's a back six to the video. And I have all these channels on here. And um, so I reprogrammed them and they were all like on Christian station and I just kind of forced myself to listen. And after a while I just started to like some of the songs. And I came to discover that Christian music is not this, I guess, what I used to think Christian music was. They actually compete well with modern day music. And so I listened and I listened and that song is really cool. And even like Chris Tomlin's song, How Great Is Our God. I just love that song. Especially when it comes on the radio, I just crank it on full. I'm just like, How Great Is Our God. Of course, I'm keeping my eyes on the road. But I'm just like, this song rocks because it fully expresses how great is our God? And creates in me this reverence. And there would be times I'd be driving to work and I would see other people in vehicles. I kid you not. Headbagging. Driving like this. And so then I was like, he's not listening to worship music. I can guarantee that. He's listening to heavy metal. He's probably down the path where I probably would have ended up in. Headbanging to music because that's how some people respond to that. You know, It seems to get the attention. Other things that changed on the internet. Um, for example, I would check my email and I use Hotmail and sometimes there's banners all around and, and it was questionable. And at first I used to not think twice, but then all of a sudden God put the sensitivity in my mind of pictures and not allowing a lot of these things to enter into my mind, into my heart, and somehow defile my soul, you know? And so I would purposely just resize the window until all I can see is my email. You know, and I would just try to focus enough so that, you know, in the periphery, the image is kind of blurry. I just, I don't want to look at it. You know, so I wouldn't look at it. And that was another response that God created in my heart. Would that really come about if you don't fear the Lord? Hmm? 
I don't think so. And I think we wouldn't think twice. We'd be like, oh yeah, there's a banner with the girl in a bikini, you know. But once you start fearing the Lord, once you get start getting hit with all these scriptures about fear me, fear me, fear me, and I'll bless you, you know. God loves us. He's like, he's telling us, don't be afraid of me, you know. Don't be afraid of me. Just be in awe of me. Make me number one, you know. And so when you start doing that, things change. Like with my kids, when they push my buttons, everybody has a timeout. Even dad. You know, sometimes I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to stand up here and tell you I'm perfect. You know, but all I'm just saying is there was a sensitivity being born in within me when I started reading God's Word. So fear of the Lord will always originate with God's Word. Okay? If you really want that fear, I can give you one practical application. Read His Word. And I even thought about printing out, you know, a lot of Bible reading plans. You know, there's one for 90 days. You can read the whole Bible in 90 days. I tried it and I stopped at Leviticus. Because it was just a ton of chapters. I just couldn't keep up. And so then I was like, well, I'll just go at my own pace. You know, and that's what I've been doing. But I thought about printing them out for you so just say, hey, go grab one in the back. But I just want you to be the one to do it. I don't want to hand it to you. I want you to get this feel from the Lord through His Spirit. Gets you, you know, to prompt you, yeah, I've got to do that. You know, I got And make time for it. You know, like with my friend and I, we made the morning to do that. And it won't always be perfect. But at least you're striving to stay on this path that God wants to use you in. Because if you cannot stay on the straight path, like you get a temptation that veers you off, you'll end up finding yourself sinning. And God's like, I can't use a sinful, a a habitually sinful person to redeem my people. It's hypocrisy. I want to redeem my people with people that are like Jesus Christ, you know? And I want them to have His character so that I can use them and demonstrate that I'm awesome, that I'm holy, and I want to save you, and I want to draw people, and people are attracted to that, you see? People want to see authentic Christianity. They don't want to just see you coming in here just for Sunday, and then you go to the construction site, and you're swearing, you know? That's duplicity. God can't use that. God can't use you to do or to fulfill His plan. He needs trustworthy people just like He needed Joseph. So you see why? Joseph really needed this from the beginning in order for him to take him through these trials to solidify his character to use him for bigger stuff. You know, Todd taught us in Luke, um, those that are faithful with little will be faithful in much, right? Well, He's going to give you tidbits of things. You'll, you'll get tempted, you know. As long as you just stay faithful, God, I don't want to sin. You know, I just want to focus on you, you know. And the more you succeed in that, the more can, the Lord will just start imp- implementing you into the bigger grandness of of saving God or saving people, you know, through this, His Son Jesus Christ. Um, I want you to look at this quote by Oswald Chambers. Okay, it says, "The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else." Whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. Isn't that just what the brothers were like? As soon as they found out, they were like, oh man, it's your fault. You know, God's getting back at us. Didn't I tell you? You know, but for Joseph, it was like, you listen, because I fear God. You know, it's like almost as what I'm about to tell you is certain, you know, because I know God, and this is what He wants you guys to do, you know. So it's fear versus fright. Don't have fright. I mean, if you're. I'm going to be really bold here and say, you know, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you should have fright. Okay? Because this protection that He offers to His people comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Who gets the punishment? Jesus. 
And if you don't know Jesus, if He's not your God, you haven't confessed Him as your Lord of your life, guess where the punishment is going to go? Jesus is not going to you know, stand in the way. He's like, I don't know you. You know, you've seen those scriptures in the New Testament. You know, uh, they would cry out, Lord, Lord. And He would say, I, I just don't know you. You know what I mean? Um... I, I hope I'm not sounding like a downer, okay? All I'm just wanting to really get you to see is that from Joseph's life was this fundamental fear of the Lord that with every step of his journey, he just accepted the circumstance. He was faithful with his gifts. He was faithful with the vision. He didn't, he's like, I know, God, that someday you're going to um, just somehow put me in charge. My brother's going to bow down or whatever. And, and somehow you're just going to use me to, to fulfill all the promises that you've mentioned in the Old Testament with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Somehow they're going to be fulfilled. I'm just going to stick to following you, you know. And I won't be afraid of Potiphar. You know, or I won't be afraid of the Pharaoh. Especially when he got in front of the Pharaoh. I mean, that was an interesting occasion because the Pharaoh was like, I have heard it said that you can interpret dreams. And if you can imagine the Pharaoh, when he spoke, people listened, right? I mean, people regarded everything he said almost like an edict. You know, like, if he says this shall happen, it is law, you know? But for Joseph, when he heard that, he goes, yeah, you've heard that said, but I can't interpret dreams. You know, God is the one. You know, he gives God the credit. In essence, what he did there is he almost corrected the Pharaoh. Because I know you've heard me say, but actually, it's not me, it's God. So he was still faithful, even when it's like, you're the, the number one head honcho who could easily be like, up with his head, you know? He didn't do that. He stayed faithful. Um, I want to conclude in this way. I want to ask you a question. Do you fear the Lord any better? Do you understand what the calling is like for Joseph and what your calling is like now? The vision that God has given us. Make disciples of all nations. You know? Don't expect everything to be going just exactly right. You will get trials. You probably will fail here and there. I know I have. But you just persistently just keep trying um, see I trust that you understand my message that I'm trying to convey to you this morning and I hope that you will allow the Holy Spirit to pe- speak to your heart right now and that you will do what the Lord is asking you to do read his word create, let his word create this awe within you and just keep responding to the situations you're in and accept them